Amen. I'm excited to get to bring God's word this morning. Um, and as we're on the cusp of uh, this Bible reading plan, really, some of you began it just a couple of days ago, and, and just the opportunity we have to read through God's word together as a people. And man, I just, I've done that a few times with my wife, and it's just an incredible journey. And just this word. I mean, these are the words of God, and we get to read and hear from him um, day in and day out throughout 2021 as we are reading this word together. Um, yet I know that it can, can easily become kind of a religious habit. It can become a checklist, especially if you're trying to push through Leviticus, and you're like law after law after law after law, and the numbers, and it's like this guy was the son of this guy, the son of this guy, and so on and so forth. Um, but, but the reality is, is like, man, every aspect, even that stuff, I promise you, is a treasure from God that's meant to transform us, to be more like Jesus, to love God more, and to love others. And so last week, we got to, Chris unpacked for us what it looks like that because of the word, we're able to rest in God, and we're able to um, be um, more aligned with who God is. And, and this week, so we're going to look at more of the horizontal aspect of what it looks like. How does the word affect us in relationships with one another, as well as the world around us? And so turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I'm being two verses primarily this morning. Colossians chapter 3, 16 to 17. And as you're turning there, I just want to get us thinking uh, a little bit along the lines of where we're going. So have you ever noticed you don't have to teach anyone to be selfish? Uh, kids may not know much, but they know selfish. Uh, from, from day one, I mean, once they start talking, it's uh, no is, is right there, up, but, but there's also mine, right? Mine this, mine that, especially at Christmas time. I don't know how many times I heard that the past few days with my boys, uh, but um, we are all, we naturally, our hearts tend towards selfishness. Now, I hear this story, uh, I don't remember it, but when my sister was born, um, I was told that uh, I was quite the selfish kid. Um, and uh, when my mom would feed my baby sister, I would throw toys that way uh, out of jealousy and selfish spite. Um, and then I'd pretty confident that's true because uh, that selfishness didn't go away, right? I mean, when my sister got a little older and I wanted, she would go on adventures with me. One, one time we had this huge field next to our house and it flooded. And, um, and so I was like, man, it'd be really cool to see if we could like float out on there, you know? I mean, it was probably like this much water, okay? But um, I thought, hey, it'd be really awesome. And so I went and grabbed a trash can lid and I said, hey, Laura, wh why don't you get in this trash can lid and we'll see if you float? Um, and so I was really wanting to see if she would uh, float or not before I got out there, right? I mean, just selfish heart, right? She's okay. She's alive, I promise. Uh, like I said, this much water. So she was just very wet and she got the discipline rather than me uh, for going in the water. So um, I was a conniving, selfish little kid, but, but we all are. Like we, we in our culture, even in the church, like we are often so bent in towards ourselves. Consumeristic, we're transactional in relationships. Like, like we give more time to relationships that we think we're going to get something out of rather than relationships that we don't think they, they can give anything back to us, right? I mean, that's, that's why we, we often pass by uh, the homeless so easily because what do, they, what do they really have to give to us, all right? But, but rather, it would, it would all be one way, right? And so because we so often live in this transactional um, deal where we're self-centered and, and, and focused on what can I get, what have you done for me lately, like we, we pass by those that can't give much in return. We know, though, that by experience, like being self-centered just doesn't satisfy. It leaves us lacking, leaves us lonely, 
leaves us longing for more, but we keep going that direction over and over again because we have ingrown hearts. And that's the reality is that our hearts are naturally ingrown as human beings because of sin, because of the brokenness of the world. Like we're looking out for number one in ourselves. And I don't know if you've ever had an ingrown nail. I know that like two days into the new year, early on a Sunday morning, you don't want to think about ingrown nails. It's nasty. But that, that's the reality. Like an ingrown nail is painful. It's nasty. It gets infected. And unless you have something from the outside come and, and fix it, like it's just going to continue to get worse and worse. And that's the reality with our hearts on a spiritual level. And you may not be able to see it on the outside like an ingrown nail, but like our hearts are ingrown because of our selfishness. It's painful. It'll hurt us as we use others for our own gain, as we have men objectify women, as, as we seek to, to get something out of relationships rather than how can we give in relationships. We all struggle with these things to one degree or another, but we have ingrown hearts. We need healing and transformation of our ingrown hearts. But where do we find it? Only one thing gives us that power, that hope. To not just fix it for a time, to not just kind of be a quick fix or a behavior change, but to, to ultimately replace our ingrown heart with a new healthy heart that is selfless and oriented towards others. And that's this word. It's the only hope we have for what we're going to talk about as this inside out kind of life. We're oriented towards the inside. We need our, our, our hearts flipped inside out in order to live healthy, thriving lives that, that love God and love others well, that, 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 that are life-giving rather than life-draining. And so that's where we, we come to Colossians chapter 3, 16 to 17. Paul, having painted this picture of what it looks like to live the inside out life, then, then he really summarizes it in verses 16 and 17. And he says this, hear from the word of the Lord this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we unpack your word this morning, that, that you um, would, would begin to transform us just as we hear. God, fill us with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit that I might proclaim your word clearly, but fill all of us, including myself, to be able to, to have ears that hear your word and go out and do it, and go out and live it by the power of Jesus in your spirit. And I pray all of this in his name. Amen. So we look at Colossians chapter 3, 16 and 17. What we, what we see are, are really two big commands here. One in verse 16, one in verse 17. All right, so the first one is, let the word dwell in you richly. Let the word dwell in you richly. And the second one is, do everything in the name of Jesus. These two verses really aren't just kind of like extra pieces of advice. What Paul's done in the beginning of chapter 3 is he's laid out a lot of things to put off and put on and how to live. In verse 16 and 17, it's not just kind of lobbying in, dwell in the word richly and do things in the name of Jesus. It's not just kind of two extra pieces of advice. These are really summary pieces here. That this is how you live out the first part of chapter 3 and how you live out the rest of the book of Colossians. All right, it's these two verses, let the word dwell in you richly, doing everything in the name of Jesus. 
This whole chapter is about this inside-out life, this selfless life, rather than self-centered. And the hope for the inside-out life is letting the word dwell in you richly. The hope for the inside-out life is letting the word dwell in you richly. And then that second command that we talked about, the inside-out life looks like doing everything in the name of Jesus. Inside-out looks like doing everything in the name of Jesus. And so if we were to summarize kind of the whole of of what we're going to be talking about today, it's find the inside-out life through the word. Find the inside-out life through the word. That's simple, but we're going to unpack it. All right, that summarizes those two big commands. Find that inside out life, that, that doing everything in the name of Jesus through the word, through letting the word dwell in you richly. That's the big idea here is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That as we read through the Bible this year, that the word of Christ would dwell in us as individuals and among us as God's people, that we might live a transformed life, living a life in the name of Jesus. The key to it, though, is letting the word dwell in us richly. It's a kind of a strange idea, like how do you let words off a page dwell in us, all right? When we think about meditation in our, our day and age, like we think yoga, we think kind of empty in our minds, but, but meditation, letting the word dwell in us is, is actually filling ourselves with the word. Another way like to really pick up on Paul's image here that he talks about in Colossians, it's let, it, let the word live in you. Let it take up residence in your heart. Make its home there. Uh, Connection group I'm uh, in has a lot of newly married folks. Um, we had a few get married this this fall, um, and many of them experienced this. I remember this very clearly um, as I got married uh, several years ago. Um, I think it's seven now. Uh, my wife isn't here, so um, she can't correct me. But seven years ago, when you get married, guys, right? Your wife will transform your house. Your wife will transform your house. The way you live, the decor will change. All right, the, the cleanliness will change in a positive direction, all right, and the smells will even change in your house because these things called candles will enter in your house and suddenly it will smell good there, all right? Your bathroom will get cleaned more than twice a year, um, like uh, my apartment um, before my wife um, came into my life. When your wife comes to take up residence in your home, your home will forever be changed and so will you for the good. Like, the food you eat will no longer be Doritos and Oreos. Yes, that was my diet, all right? Maybe it wasn't yours before you got married, but that was mine. Um, It was also my diet over Christmas break. Um, But anyway, the food you eat will be changed. The hospitality, suddenly, for me, I mean, my wife is crazy gifted in hospitality. I mean, suddenly our home was filled with just this sense of hospitality and people coming in and her cooking for folks and us being able to host people. No one wanted to enter my apartment uh, before uh, she came on the scene. Um, I, my habits changed. All right, and hopefully, like, it's, it's the other way around too, guys, all right? Like, this isn't just to completely beat up on guys here. But, but when your wife comes in to live in the house, like, things change. And when the word comes in to take up residence in your heart and in your life, we will be dramatically changed. Like if it's truly dwelling in our hearts, we'll be changed. We'll be dramatically changed. And it's through letting the word dwell in us, take up residence in us, that we find the inside out life, the good, the beautiful, the the true life, the selfless life. See, this word, it has a purpose. 
It's not just the facts and info about God, but rather it's to allow us to know God so that we can become like God and to love God and love others as a result. This word has a purpose for you and for me. It has an end. It has a goal for us. It intends to transform us, to turn our lives inside out. And one of the huge goals of the word is that we would find that inside out life. And so we need to look at that goal first this morning. That inside out life, we're going to look at verse 17 and break that down. And then we'll come back to how do we we actually allow the word to dwell in and among us as God's people. So what does that inside out life look like? Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Do everything in the name of Jesus. That inside out life, what does it look like? It looks like Jesus. Very simply, it looks like Jesus. Doing everything in his name, and N.T. Wright sums this up. He's a pastor theologian. He says this, acting in someone, representing him, and being empowered to do so. So it means representing the character, the the lifestyle, the, 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 the ways and the purposes of the person that you are going in the name of, like being an ambassador. And, and yet an ambassador not only represents and, and goes in the character of the person, but, but they also go with the power of the person that they're ambassador, the ambassador for. And so we're ambassadors for Christ. We're going in the name. In everything we do, we are called to live for Jesus and like Jesus. We represent his character and his intentions, not to be selfish, but to be selfless, because the inside out life looks like the person of Jesus. And so, in everything we do, Jesus is our purpose. In everything we do, Jesus is to be our purpose. The inside out life is lived for Jesus. He gets the credit, not us. It frees us from our selfishness to live for something that's, that's bigger than ourselves, for someone else. And that's incredibly good news because we, we know that as we live for our our, our tiny little self-centered goals that ultimately, like, they never satisfy. Like, they always, like, when we finally reach that goal, if it's been done for ourselves, it always feels like there's a bit of a letdown. Like, oh, that was good, but like, okay, what's next? But when we live for Jesus, when we live for something bigger than ourselves, then, like, like we never reach that point. There's always more of Jesus we can live for. You know, Richard Nixon, who I know, Quoting him in a sermon isn't really a positive thing to do most of the time, but a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. So Richard Nixon once said this. He said, until he's been part of a cause larger than himself, no man man is truly whole. And in Jesus, we find that larger purpose, that purpose beyond ourselves, a life-giving purpose. And so the inside-out life is lived for Jesus. Everything being done in his name means that the inside-out life is lived for Jesus. So when we live for ourselves, God and others get in the way. They become, they become obstacles. And even when everything goes right, it still doesn't satisfy. There's still that letdown in the end. But when we're living for Jesus, as well as for others that we'll talk about here in a moment, when we're living for something more than just ourselves, things that were obstacles, Jesus and others from getting what we want are now just opportunities to love God and to love others, to accomplish that greater purpose. 
And so we've stopped viewing people and God as obstacles to finding our satisfaction. We begin to see them as opportunities to find true life and to be able to show the love and the life of Jesus to others. And so the inside out life, first off, it's lived for Jesus. But second, when we think about doing everything in the name of Jesus, we've got to recognize that not only is Jesus our purpose, he's also our model. Jesus is also our model. And so the inside out life is lived for others because Jesus lived for others. And everything he did, he lived for others. And Martin Luther King talked about the inside out life this way. He said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns, of his selfish, kind of me-focused life, until he rises above those individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all of humanity. You haven't started living until you've done that. And so Jesus lived life to the full then, because he, he stepped down out of heaven. And he came and he lived and died and rose again, suffered, experienced brokenness and temptation, all for the sake of others. He rose above the concern for his privilege and his rights and his comfort so that we might live and have those comforts and those rights and those privileges. Jesus shows us the way because he is the way. He is the model. He's the ultimate example of the life lived for others. And Paul breaks down what that life, that inside out life looks like that Jesus epitomized in verses five through nine of Colossians chapter three. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, Malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Why do we, why do we want to run from sexual morality and, and, and from these things? Because the, re, the reality is, is sexual morality is using others for our own pleasure, objectifying others for our own gain. Anger is, is frustration at the fact that others aren't doing what I want them to do. They aren't operating by my agenda. They're getting in the way when my boys won't go down to bed in a timely manner, which is a whole lot of nights for my boys. Like, like anger wells up in my heart at times rather than a desire to love and serve them and help them get to bed peaceably because they're not letting me get to my show on Netflix. None of us want to be characterized by that. And that's not the life that Jesus lived. That's not the inside-out life. That's the outside-in life right there. And, and so instead of that, Paul says, put off those things. And then in verses 12 to 14, he says this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those are beautiful things. Like everyone recognizes that. We, we all acknowledge those things to be good and beautiful, and yet, how many of us put off those things and put on the former list? We struggle to go after these things. 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, that's a pretty high standard. That's a beautiful picture of forgiveness, but you've got to live a selfless, inside-out kind of life to be able to forgive as God forgave. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Brings peace when there is no peace. Peace even in the midst of 2020, amongst race divisions, amongst political divisions, amongst Cardinals and Cubs fans. I mean, love brings together, binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the power of love. That's the power of the inside out life. And so Jesus points us to that kind of way. If you were to look at the rest of chapter 3 and verses 18 on into chapter 4, what you see is, is Paul then gets specific about what this inside-out life looks like in particular relationships, about husband and wives, parents and children, um, servants and, and masters. Today we think about like employers and employees and, and so on and so forth. He begins to get specific, but all of this hinges on dwelling in the word richly so that we might live and do everything in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the epitome of that inside-out life. Let's, let's just behold Jesus for a second. We, we, sang, um, we sang one of my favorite hymns before, Be Thou My Vision. And, and I think we, need to, we just need to behold Jesus for a moment in order to really capture how, how did he epitomize this inside-out life. Well, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, Paul's once again calling people to this inside-out life. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And just behold your Savior this morning. Behold Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. How did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. This is the incredible part of Christmas that we just celebrated. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus, if anyone had a right to comfort and privilege if anyone had a right to the perfect experience of heaven, it was Jesus. He's God. He's never messed up. He's never been broken in any way, shape, or form. And yet Jesus stepped out of that perfect peace and harmony without any suffering. That thing we long for one day in the future, Jesus stepped out of that and entered into our world by choice. And he took on our suffering and the temptations that we face. And he went to the cross and he died. Not because he deserved it, but because you and I deserve it. Because we deserve to be separated from God, he experienced separation from God on the cross so that we won't have to, so that we can be brought back to God, so that we can experience life to the full in the life giver, God himself. That's what the inside out life looks like. Putting every selfish ambition to the side, counting others more significant than yourselves. 
Inside out life is lived for others. It's humble love, counting others more significant than yourselves. And so in everything we do, Jesus is our purpose and he's our model, but he's also our power. In everything we do, Jesus is our power. That's part of going in the name. That's part of doing everything in the name of Jesus. It's also the, the name of Jesus has power. The name of Jesus is powerful. And, and we get to go in that name with the name of the almighty God of the universe behind us, with the spirit filling us. And we, we live these things out, not by our own power. Like we've proven to ourselves time and again that we can't do it on our own. And yet Jesus gives us the power to love relentlessly. And so the inside out life is lived through the word, through knowing Jesus by being in this word, by dwelling in this word richly. And it's the word's power that gives us hope of the inside out life, that gives us hope of peace and harmony and love that would transform not only our own lives and our family's lives and our, our church's life, but, but our whole community and city even. And so in everything we do, if Jesus is our power, if we're dwelling in this word richly, then we'll find the inside out life. But it's got to be in dwelling in the word richly. What makes that word so powerful, though? Like What makes this word have that ability to transform and bring that about in our lives? Well, it's because if you flip back to, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 this time, it's the word of Christ. It's the word about Christ. It can really, that, that, a connection to the word and Jesus there is it's, it's both the word about him as well as his word that's spoken forth. And so it's powerful. This word right here is powerful because of whose word it is. It's Jesus's. See, words about me, they don't matter all that much. Like, like Stan's introduction of me just doesn't matter. You've already forgotten it all. Trust me, I know. I've heard those introductions before. You've forgotten it all. And that's a good thing. It doesn't matter. All right? Words about the president, like you probably pay a bit more attention to, right? But words about the God of the universe, they matter. They matter eternally, and they matter to an infinite extent for our lives. But it's not just words about Jesus. It's also the words of Jesus. It's his very words that we see here. See, my words, they don't carry much power on their own. The only power they have when I'm standing up here is by the, the Holy Spirit when I'm speaking these words and applying these words to our lives. My words is, you know, they might have some power for my, uh, my four-year-old when I start a three, two, one countdown. Usually by one, he'll stop going wherever he's going, which is usually somewhere on this stage to knock something over. Um, but um, it usually will stop him, but it won't even always stop a four-year-old. So my word's not very powerful, right? And then the, the president of the United States, his word's pretty powerful, right? He writes an executive order, like that's going to change some things. Not just for him, but for an entire nation and even all the nations of the world. Like extreme power right there. But the word of the God of the universe... The word of Jesus, like that's infinite power. It's infinite power. And so that's why this word matters so much. That's why this word is so able to transform us. And so let's break. What, what do we mean when it's good news about, what do we mean that it's a word about Jesus? Well, what we mean it's the good news about Jesus. When it says, the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, it's talking about the gospel, which just simply means good news. That Christ died and was raised. 
that he lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve, was raised from the dead to prove that he has beaten death and, and overcome our sin. It's the good news about Jesus. It's the gospel as short and sweet as it can get, what we read in Philippians chapter two. And that's good news for you and for me because Jesus did it all for his glory, yes, but also so that we might have life and have it abundantly, that we might have our sins forgiven no matter what you've done, no matter how self-centered you've lived your entire life. Jesus lived a selfless life and went to the cross and died for, so that you could live and that you could live for eternity and that you could live with God himself. That's the good news of the gospel. And the gospel isn't just here in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It isn't just sprinkled throughout Paul's letters, but rather it's from beginning to end of this word. It's not just something that came on the scene, you know, when Jesus came on the scene, but rather the good news of the gospel is, is what we see all throughout this. This book is the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus for us why it matters. So as you read your, your Bible this year, if, you, if you're going to take begin to read through the Bible this year, and uh, whether it's in a year or a little bit slower than that or a little bit faster than that, whatever it is, look for Jesus from page one all the way to the end. Look for Jesus because this is his story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a story about how God created us to live with him and yet we ran the other way. We wanted to find life in ourselves. We wanted to be God and king of our own lives. We ran the other way, and yet God, every step of the way, has pursued us. And his plan before time began began was to send Jesus. And that all of this leading up to Jesus was pointing forward to him, and everything after is pointing back to him. This is his story, his good news. Don't move on from that gospel. It's not just a bunch of rules. It's not a book of rules. It's not a book of heroes even. It's not a book of a bunch of random stories about a bunch of old people in a, in a desert far away. It's Jesus' story for us. And so as you read this year, look for Jesus. Even in Leviticus. Even in Leviticus, I promise you, Jesus is all over the place there. All right, it may get, may get boring to read at times, but like if, you, if you have eyes for Jesus, you'll begin to see him all over those pages. Because in Leviticus, you've got sacrifice after sacrifice. And it's just like a bloody, bloody book, all right? As they're sacrificing all kinds of stuff. And God's laying it out. And, and it's just all these rituals that the people of God had to go through. And yet, every single one of those is to point to our need for Jesus. Because we can't keep that up. We just can't sustain it. We can't keep this sacrificial system going. All of that was to point forward to one sacrifice of one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled it all. And he gives us life because of it. That's the good news of the gospel. And so look for Jesus as you read through the word. Let it dwell on you richly because this word is powerful news about Jesus. But it's also the life-giving, powerful words of Jesus. The word is the only thing that can transform us. It's the only thing that can give us life by helping us avoid life-destroying selfishness. Deuteronomy chapter 32 Verses 46 to 47, talking about numbers with all the genealogies, talking about Leviticus with all the sacrifices and so on and so forth. Moses says this about the word written up to that point in time. He says, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. These words are no empty word for you, but your very life. They have life in them. 
And it's because Jesus, the word himself, is the source of all life. John chapter one, verses one to four says this. In the beginning was the word. It's talking about Jesus. It's, it's John's way of talking about Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This word has life-giving power because it is the words of Jesus. It's not just some self-help book full of short quips and and strategies to become a better individual. It's a life-giving book, the life-giving book. It's Because the same words that fill these pages, yes, they're written by men thousands of years ago, but they're also divinely breathed out by God so that they're his words as much as they are the penmanship of those authors thousands of years ago. And and because of that, it's the same word that spoke creation into existence just like that. God spoke the world into existence from the largest star to the tiniest atom. And, And with his word, he breathes life into us. He speaks and it happens. Look, as powerful as a king when he lays down a law is, as powerful as a president when he lays down an executive order is, God's word is more powerful because it never fails. And this is incredibly good news. It's God's word given to us, this life-giving, powerful word because we have no life in ourselves. Jesus, the word, according to John, was life. and had life in him. We don't have life in us. And so life came to us. It's good news because we have no life in ourselves. And the same is true for the world around us. We long for the darkness and the injustice, the lack of love and the lack of peace and the lack of life that we see in our communities and our world and on our news feeds. We long for those things to be changed. We long to see reconciliation. We long to see love. We long to see peace. And our world tries to offer all kinds of solutions. We try to make ourselves better, but ultimately it all comes crashing in. All all those solutions implode on themselves. For instance, everyone's favorite Gandhi quote um, that was actually never really said by him um, was, be the change you want to see in the world. Never really said by Gandhi, okay? Uh, Sorry if I ruined that for you. Be the change you want to see in the world. He did say something similar. He said, if we could change ourselves, if we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. That sounds great. Sounds inspiring. If we can just just pick ourselves up our own bootstraps, change ourselves, then like that will affect people around us, and then there will be ripple effects all out into the world. But here's the problem. The world needs life. We don't have that life in us. On our own, we don't have that life in us. We don't have the power to transform. We have no life in ourselves, and so we can't change ourselves. We can't be the change on our own because of our ingrown hearts. We can't be that change. It'll crush us if we try to be. Even as Christians, as we have a new heart placed in us and we have life through Jesus, if we try to be the change that the world needs apart from Jesus on our own, we'll be crushed. We won't find that rest that Chris talked about last week in the Lord. We'll be crushed. The change we long for, that inside-out life, the good, true, and beautiful life, it cannot come from us. It's got to come from the Word of God, both Jesus himself and his words as we find them in Scripture. 
The word is life-giving and transformative, both for individuals and communities. It transforms the way we relate to one another. To, it brings reconciliation and love and unity. It honors Christ as salt and light in the world around us. We can't find it in ourselves. We can't find it elsewhere. We need the word to transform us. We need the word to dwell in and among us richly. If we want to be a church that reaches 1% of Columbia, if we want to be a church that's just a blazing light here on Mizzou's campus, if we want to be a church that that actually transforms the, the life of Columbia, Missouri, then we've got to let the word of God, the word of Jesus, dwell in us richly. It's the only place where life and transformation can be found. And we've got to do that day in and day out. Christian, you don't move on from that good news of the gospel, of turning from trusting yourself to trusting in Jesus. You need that every single day. You need to look at this word, and you need to examine the word, and you need to let it reveal what your heart actually looks like. You need to reveal your selfishness. You need to reveal your impatience. You need to reveal your anger and the ways that you go after your own goals. You need to reveal all that so that you can turn from it And you can trust in Jesus and begin to live that inside-out life. You need to do that every single day. You do not move on from the good news of the gospel. You need that truth in your life every day. And if you've never experienced that life, if you've never turned and trusted in Jesus to be life, if you've never turned from going your own way and and trusted that Jesus' way is best, that what he did on the cross is good enough to give you life, that it's good enough to bring you back into relationship with God, you can do that right now. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of sin you've committed. It doesn't matter how self-centered a life you've lived. It doesn't matter how many bridges you've burned with people. Jesus will forgive you because what he did is good enough. Will you turn and trust in him? That's the question. Inside out life and true life will only be found by turning and trusting in the good news, life-giving word of Jesus. But how do, we, how do we let the word turn our lives inside out? Beyond just the, the broad scope of turning and trusting in Jesus, how do we let the word dwell among us richly, dwell in us? In, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That you there is, is actually plural. It sounds you to us because we don't have plural. It really should be a dwell in y'all. Um, if I'm from Tennessee, was born in Mississippi. So we say y'all there. So it dwell in y'all richly, all right, because it's a plural. So um, it, it's dwelling among you as a people. It's not just individually. Yes, Bible reading plans on your own with God, that personal fellowship with God, it's vital. And it plays into this. If we're gonna let the word dwell among us richly, and we got to have a vibrant personal life too. But, but no, like what Paul's talking about here is we don't find the inside out life on our own. All right, there's no Lone Ranger Christianity here. All right, you don't just add on uh, the community and this gathering here. Like, like this is vital, vibrant part of, of living the inside out life, of flourishing in Jesus. It's not an optional add on. Finding the inside out life through the word, is only done in in a word-saturated life together. A word-saturated life together. Because finding the inside-out life not only orients us towards others, but it only happens with others. We'll never live that inside-out life on our own. Our entire life together must be saturated by the word. 
Like as God's people, we're God's people whether we're gathered here or we're scattered out in the community. Right? And so we live in this rhythm of gathering as God's people and scattering. Gathering as God's people and scattering. That's how God intends it. All right? That's why he says don't forsake the gathering. All right? We need one another. All right? I said this at the church I pastored in Southeast Missouri all, all the time. We said, I need the church and the church needs me. That's the reality. That's, part of the, that's the core part of what, what Paul's talking about here in Colossians 3. I need the church and the church needs me. All right, so I don't know which part of that you need to hear this morning, but, but no, the, both of those truths stand. We need the church and the church needs us. And so we live that life out, not just in, a, in an hour or two on Sunday mornings, but as we gather and as we scatter, as we gather and we scatter and we stay connected with one another so that the word of God can dwell in us richly, no matter whether we're here together or whether we're scattered into our workplaces, neighborhoods, and homes. And as we allow that rhythm to be saturated by the word, our lives will be steadily transformed. So what's that look like? Paul actually talks a lot about the gathering here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Like I said, what happens here weekly is absolutely vital to sustaining the inside out life. Like a sponge squeezed and soaked and then dripping with water, our, our gatherings must be squeezed and soaked and saturated with the word. And that doesn't just happen when I or one of the pastors here gets up and, and proclaims God's word, but it happens in a variety of ways. And realize that it's, it's not just um, from this stage either. Like it's, it's the pastors and the worship team. No, it's like this isn't a spectator sport. This is a game we all play together. All right, dwelling in the word richly is for everyone that walks in these doors together. Because it says teaching and admonishing one another. It doesn't say let the word of God dwell in you richly so pastors, teach your people, and worship leaders, sing songs about the word. No, it's one another. It's teaching and admonish one another. So it means we're all involved in this thing. And so when we talk about teaching and admonishing, yes, preaching is central to our gatherings, but it doesn't end here. All right, it's why we walk through scripture. It's, it's why we don't just kind of pick things here or there that's easy to talk through, but we walk through books of the Bible here. And, it, and it's central to what we do but we all have the responsibility to bring the word into our community. But in order for that to happen, we've got to be saturating ourselves in the word personally. That's why we're going after this Bible reading plan in 2021. So we can encourage one another in the same plan. So when it gets difficult and you get off a few days or you get off a few weeks or maybe even a month, like still got a connection group that's coming alongside, hey, just keep going. Because this word, like it's transforming me. Let it continue to transform you. And we can encourage one another with, with similar scriptures throughout the year that we're reading along together. And so we've got to saturate ourselves with the word personally so that then we have something to share. We listen to God, not just so that I can be a better Christian, not just so that I can grow on my own, but we listen to God so that when we interact with others as God's people, we actually have something life-giving to share, right? We don't have life in and of ourselves, and so we've got to be in this word in order to give to others. So we teach and admonish one another, but we also sing with thankfulness. Singing's an important part of letting the word of Christ dwell on us richly. It allows us to express God's word to one another. It allows us to realign our hearts and our affections. We often think of singing as something 
that we do toward God, kind of eyes closed, me and God, like I just need to worship him, I need to block out everything else and focus on him, or, or maybe we think about uh, songs as, as just kind of something that kind of preps me and amps me up, it gets the, the preacher ready to go, and, um, and it's just kind of preparing us for the preaching. But Paul's not saying that. He's saying that singing is another way to saturate one another with the word of God. And so singing together is meant to have a teaching effect. It's meant to have a realigning effect on our hearts. It's meant to remind us of the truths of the gospel, to remind us that Jesus needs to be our vision, like we talked about this morning. It reminds us to encourage one another so that we aren't, that we aren't alone in believing the things that we believe. Because we scatter. Like we're amongst a lost and dying world that doesn't believe. We are, we're, we're inundated with messages that say, like, Basically, no one else believes this stuff, right? And we come here so that we can sing and remind one another, hey, it's not just the talking head on the stage that believes this stuff, but all the people in here do. People that have experienced a, a miscarriage, lost a job, had family strife, maybe a divorce, and they're, they're still crying out in faith. They may be struggling, but they're still crying out in faith. Or maybe you're struggling to cry out in faith and you can look around and know other peoples have gone through similar things and you can be encouraged by what you see. And so I encourage you, like don't always, yes, sometimes sing with your eyes closed. Focus on the Lord. But also keep your eyes open so you can see others singing and you can be an encouragement to others as you're singing. Because this is meant to strengthen one another's faith. It's a powerful way to minister to one another and to find that inside out life. Because we serve one another when we sing. We serve one another when we hear God's word and we share it with one another. Lastly, something we're about to do here in just a few moments is take the Lord's Supper. And when you talk about the word of God dwelling in us richly, this is what we're, it's an incredible picture of that. Jesus gives us this beautiful, visible, tangible picture for us to consider Jesus, his body that was sacrificed for us and his blood that was shed for us so we might have life. And we take it, not just as individuals in our homes, but we take it when we gather so that we can encourage one another and we actually are proclaiming the Lord's death, Paul says. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes when we take this Lord's Supper together. And so we're teaching and admonishing one another, once again, dwelling in the word richly. And so the point is this, everything in our gathering from preaching to the singing, to the Lord's Supper, to conversations in the parking lot, they should all be intentionally saturated with the word of Christ. And it shouldn't end as we walk out of, or drive out of the parking lot. As we leave the gathering and we scatter, we've got to saturate our scattering with the word. And so whether it's connection groups or in coffee shops or on play dates or on your phone through group me or whatever it may be, our lives together should be intentionally pointing to the word for one another's sake. And as we scatter well and saturate our scattering with the word, it'll strengthen our gatherings. And as we saturate our gatherings with the word and minister to one another that way, it'll strengthen our scattering and it'll just build on itself as we do and live out this rhythm and we'll transform our lives and we'll see, see not only our lives but our community be transformed and that's when we'll see 1% of Columbia reached. When we're letting the word dwell on us richly like that. And so as the band comes forward this morning. I just want to finish out with this. Only when we have that life-giving word saturating our lives together will we find that inside-out life. 
So as you pursue letting the word dwell in you richly in 2021, do it not just for your own good, do it for the good of others. And this is how you, this is the question I want you to ask that, that I believe will be helpful in you letting the word dwell in you richly so that you might live that inside out life. Here's the challenge. Every time you come to the word, whether it's in the gathering or it's as you're scattered and you're reading your Bible reading plan, every time you come to the word, ask, how does this change how I live with others? How does what I've read, what I've seen in Jesus' life, what he's taught me here in his word, how does it change how I live with others, how I love others, how I serve others? How does it transform me from selfishness to selflessness, to the inside out life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the, the goodness of your word and the gift that it is to us that we can hear directly from you, the creator of the universe, our savior and redeemer. God, I pray that we would be a people that dwell richly in your word, that we would allow your word to dwell richly among us all throughout 2021, that you might shine brightly, that people might know your love and they might experience your love and, and find new life in Christ. Lord, may we live the inside out life by dwelling richly in your word and the power of the spirit. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.